Well, welcome to the latest podcast with me, Dr. Chris Keel. This is Keeping It Real with Dr. Keel. Wow, marketing people always make me sound much more impressive than I really am. So the topic for today is one we have hit in past years, but it's always very important to ASA people, and that's oil. We've seen a lot of volatility in the oil sector of late. As of this morning, as I'm looking at the data, WTI crude, which is West Texas Intermediate, was sitting at 92.85 per barrel, which is higher than it's been in quite a while. Brent crude, which is kind of the international version of oil prices, is at 96.19, so much, much higher than had been the case previously, and much higher than what was being predicted for this time of year. We have been talking about oil for the last several months, and the prediction from the Energy Information Agency was that oil prices would be in the 70s, and that they would stay in the 70s throughout this year into next year. Chances are that they will still start to drift back to the 70s, uh, maybe yet even this year and into next year, but there are factors now that are starting to affect that estimate. And so part of what I want to do this morning or afternoon, whenever it is you're listening to this, is to go over what has been changing in the oil sector to drive these prices up. It really comes down to the most simple of motivators. It's demand and supply. And to a degree, the predictions have missed both of those. Uh, if you look at the demand factors, the assumption for the last several years has been that we were going to demand less that the United States, which has traditionally consumed somewhere around 20 to 24 million barrels per day, was going to stay at the lower end of that range, not demand as much oil and gas, and more importantly, that you wouldn't be getting as much demand from one of the other major consumers, and that's China. What has happened is that China's demand has gone up pretty precipitously, and the U.S. demand has continued to increase. So we keep going up a little closer to some of those old numbers when we were hitting 24, 25 million barrel per day demand. Some of this is predictable. The reason that we thought our demand was going to start coming down was this whole notion of people working remotely and they weren't going to come into the office anymore because the vast majority of our fuel consumption is commuting. So if you cut the commute, then you cut demand. Well, the commute is back. We have more and more people returning to work at least part of the week. I mean, it's not back to what it was pre-pandemic. We don't have people coming into the office every day. But even if they're coming back two days a week or three days a week and they're doing it regularly, well, that starts adding to demand. China was really behind in terms of its recovery because of the lockdown that they extended far longer than anybody else had, they're not back yet to the economic growth they saw prior to the pandemic, but they're back pretty close to their performance levels when it comes to consuming resources. And among those, of course, is oil and gas. So China has been demanding, and Europe has been demanding. Europe was supposed to be in serious recession by now, and it's not. I mean, it is still very weak. I mean, we're looking at one or one and a half percent growth, which is nothing to write home about, but hey, it's better than recession. So 
all throughout the developed world and the developing world, you're seeing a lot more consumption. So that's the demand side. The supply side has been equally confusing, and it has been both legitimate in the sense that it's something that's been caused by weather or by production issues, and it's also been geopolitical. It's the OPEC nations deciding to continue to reduce oil production. So that is taking a certain amount of product off the market. The markets have been responding in an appropriate way for a market. It means that you've got more scarcity at the same time that there's demand, so the per barrel price goes up. Russia's sanctions were playing a much bigger role a year ago, but Russia is actually producing and selling more oil now than it did before the sanctions. They have found all kinds of new outlets for their exports. They're selling to India, they're selling to China, they're selling to much of the developing world. They're even selling into Europe through back door. I mean, it's, it's amazing how you can wiggle around restrictions. I mean, one of the things the Europeans were trying to do to limit Russian oil output was to remove the opportunity to insure oil tankers. And so this is an attempt to hold the Russians to maybe 60 bucks per barrel when it came to the price. Well, Russia's just shipping without insurance. It's kind of like, you know, if there's a problem, it's going to be more of a problem for you than us because we're now sailing over 90% of our oil by tanker without insurance. If there's a problem and that thing breaks up and you start getting an oil spill, well, there's no insurance to cover the cleanup and we're not going to step in. So it's one of those things where you might have created a backfire situation because if there is a problem, the Russians are just going to walk away and say, yeah, life's tough. Um, you deal with the cleanup on your own. So we've seen a considerable amount of, of supply interruption. Uh, we've got the geopolitics of trying to move things around various dangerous parts of the world. All of that has driven up, but mostly it's just a production reduction. Now, the good news on the horizon is that that prompts the U.S. to do more development on its own. Right now, we're sitting at around 14, 14 and a half million barrels per day of production, but we can conceivably get up closer to 17. So if we hit 17 million barrels per day and our consumption is 20, well, then we're pretty close to maintaining our own supply. And right now, when we have a deficit, which we do, we get it from Canada and we get it from Mexico. So we're not really beholden to what's going on in North Africa or the Middle East. The other issue as far as, as supply is concerned has just been the kind of the predictable, unpredictable things like weather. During the summer, we had a lot of refineries shut down throughout Texas because of heat. They could not run the operations because it got too hot. And you can understand that. I mean, you've got big, huge containers full of a highly flammable liquid, and it's 115 degrees. That's probably not a good combination. So a lot of the refineries were shutting down during parts of the day, even shutting down for weeks at a time, and that's affected supply as well. 
So the combination of demand and supply has been driving up the prices. And then there's one more consideration, and that's something that's a little harder to predict, but also a little more long-lasting. Investors are still shying away from the oil sector. They are still convinced that there's going to be a real wholesale movement towards alternatives, electric cars, wind power, solar power, plenty of incentives. We know that a huge amount of money was dedicated to this by the government last year that's starting to flow, and the big investment operations are saying, well, I don't know if there's much of a future in fossil fuel. Now, the reality is, of course, there is a future in fossil fuel. The Energy Information Agency has indicated that we're going to be fossil fuel dependent until the year 2070. So there's lots of reasons to get invested, but the investors worrying about the bond market, worrying about the potential for slowdown next year, they're just being cautious and they're putting money kind of where the government money is encouraging them to. So that has taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails of development, which is kind of reversing if you look at what's happening in Oklahoma and Texas and the Dakotas and Wyoming. There's expansion, but it's probably not as fast as it might have been. So is there a silver lining to any of this? Well, kind of. You're going to see a lot more energy going into energy in the next month or so. Prices will probably start to either actually drift back or at least stabilize the deeper we get into winter because it's not the driving season. But we're also going to have to pay attention to freight flows. I mean, the number one consumer of diesel fuel is freight. And if you see more activity with the trucking sector, with maritime, that sucks up a lot of diesel. So the, I guess the end of all of this is to say we know why the prices are going up. We're not happy about the prices going up. We also know what will start to take them down. We just don't know when that will happen. Um, it's more likely to be early next year than yet this year. So we kind of had a break for a while. Didn't really have high energy prices to deal with. That's over. Um, they're coming back up to levels that unfortunately we've seen in the past and it's not necessarily crippling but it certainly doesn't encourage movement on the bottom line so thanks very much next week we'll talk about some other urgent issue and hopefully ruin your morning with that one too thanks <laughs>